The town of Rembate di Sopra is just one hour north of Milan. It is small and quaint, and it's known for being beautiful and peaceful. Until it was shaken to its very core one day in November 2010. A beautiful and talented girl goes missing, and the case would turn out to be one of Italy's biggest and most expensive manhunts in its history. We are your hosts, Helen Allen and Sherry Ferreira. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. Okay, so I just want to start this case off with a disclaimer, and I'm so sorry that our ass are bringing you two cases in just a matter of two weeks where we cannot pronounce Oh my god, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's not easy. I'm gonna try to, like, sidestep the ones that I really can't do, because I, there's no reason for me to do it such injustice. And you... And you'd get, people would be even madder if you did do it and pronounced it wrong. So you right. know what? It's I don't know fine. what to, I don't know how to please people. But um, I'm going to have to say some and, you know, you're just going to have to deal with it. And the only languages I do speak are, I'm like the only language. Yeah. Yeah. Like three, the, only. The, only, the only three languages I speak. <laughs> no. So let's jump right in. Yeah. Yara Gambirasio is 13 years old when she goes missing on November 26th, 2010. She left home to go drop off a stereo to her instructor at her local gym. She was a gymnast, and she was very good at gymnastics. It was, like, her life. Um, And she was prepping for her rhythmic gymnastics display, which was going to be that following Sunday. So much talent. Yeah. Just that sentence alone. I'm like, you better tumble, girl. She's the cutest. I... Love this. I, I live for, like, a gymnastics girl. Oh. Because I could never. Right? I'm too long to be good at gymnastics. So I was always jealous of, like, the short girls who could oh. work it on the floor. Oh, my God. Anyway. I love it. No. Um, so this was around, like, 5 o'clock that she left. But by 7, her family had still not heard from her. And they knew that she was just going to, like, do that one errand. So they knew that two hours is too much. Yeah. Um, by 7-11, her mom calls and gets her voicemail. So this has her really shaken up. They end up calling the police. The dad calls the police at 7.30-ish. The call was put through immediately to the public prosecutor's office, um, which was in the center of, like, the provincial capital, Bergamo. Okay. Um, which this is, like, 11 kilometers east of Brimbate di Sopra. The magistrate on duty was Letizia Ruggieri. So good. She was a magistrate for almost 15 years, so she knew exactly what to do when she okay. gets this call. And I just want to preface this. Letizia is my hero. Um, um, okay. And this that's is... it. I just want everyone to know oh. that. Because I'm definitely biased. Okay. I don't know. I just, there's something about her that. No, you're being so vulnerable she's very right now. And I love her. Okay. <laughs> and so don't you say about Letizia because I will get you. Within minutes, she dispatched both state police and military police to Brimbate di Sopra, which I just want to say, 
If this were in the United States, they'd be like, mm, wait, twenty four rep- hours. Yeah, they'd be like, mm, she's probably at the park. Did you check the park? <laughs> Is the marriage okay? Because maybe she needed a break from you guys. But like in Italy, they were like, uh, uh-uh, uh, let's find this girl. I love it. Yeah, it's refreshing. It's nice. It's nice to do a case where you're like, okay, from the get, no issues. Everyone I was... I mean, of course there's a missing person. But, but like... beside, like, the way that they navigate it, it's so far, mwah, chef's kiss. Love it. So, they go and they interview the gym instructor, um, and she confirmed that she had seen her earlier that day. She had done some, like, light training at the gym. Because, like I said, gymnastics was literally Yara's life. So... She was in and out of the gym. Right. Got it. Her last known contact they ended up finding out was a text to her friend Martina at about, it was at 6.44 p.m. Okay. And she was basically just saying that she agrees to meet with her at 8 a.m. the following Sunday. So I'm assuming that Martina is like a gymnastics friend and they were going to meet before the thing yeah. that they, the rhythmic gymnastics and i mean display. like that's only a couple minutes before her mom called her and got worried so i mean no exactly so like I, i'm thinking that the window is 15 minutes right so okay now they're like what in the world happened in those 15 minutes so they kind of interview people that frequent the gym and the people that were there that day um and people ended up saying that they saw two men possibly seen having a conversation with Yara standing near a red car. I just want to explain the gym, too, because I think it's important to have a picture of it in your head. Give me the blueprints. Give me the blueprints. So, the blueprints are, (laughs) as if I was able to verbally... Right! I can't even explain blueprints if I have it right in front of you. You could be like, look, it's a box. So, it's a gym. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, um, but there's, like, several entrances and exits, and it ha- it's, like, part of this big complex. It has, like, a running track, a swimming pool, so many courts, so it's a gigantic place. Oh. I mean, nobody knows exactly every single person that was around it and there, but these two men did seem to stand out to people, you know, for what it's worth. So they bring in tracker dogs because they're like, okay, let's find out where she went when she left the gym. Yeah. And the dogs actually sensed that she went towards a small hamlet nearby called Mapello, which is not in the direction of her home. Okay. So she either went with someone else away from her home or she was told to go in a direction. But, I mean, we know that she wasn't in a car or else the scent would have been cut off. Exactly. So, or she got into a car. Well, like, what we know is that she went towards Mapello and that's it. Okay. But which is interesting because it isn't towards her home. So what was, you know, what was making her move in that direction? Yeah. And I mean, she's 13 years old. She's not exactly like out like traversing every Right. It's not path. like she's like, well, next I'm going to go to the mall and then I'm going to go. Like, yeah. there's just no game plan here except for dropping off the stereo and going home. And what year was this in? 2010. 2010. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. So they ended up checking phone signals and they were able to tell that her last signal was at Mapello at 6.49 p.m. Stop. That is a mere five minutes after she sent her last text. So, obviously, the family is first interviewed here. Because when a 13-year-old goes missing, where do you look? And it is more than likely. 
exactly. someone close to her. So, so her, her family was actually very well respected and known in the community. Her dad is this large man uh, with thick glasses, according to the Guardian. <laughs> I'm just... like, are they fat shaming her father? <laughs> I know, like, what in the world? I wanted to definitely say, yeah. according to the Guardian, yeah. <laughs> because that is the only, like, description I found of him. And, you okay. know, what the Well, we'll take, we'll take that for what it's worth. I think maybe he has muscles. I don't know. Ooh. No, I don't know what they meant. Large man, they wrote. Anyway. Large man glasses. He is an architect, and his father had been the local postman, uh, like his mother before him. Okay. So, like, yeah, they just know, like, they're known in the community. Her mother was a school teacher in a nearby town, so that just says to me, love her. (laughs) I don't know, teachers. teachers. Hell Yeah. (laughs) Don't get nearly enough credit. Also, the police did note that their marriage seemed strong. It didn't seem like there were any uh, stressors on the marriage. Okay. Um, they had four children, Yara. Yara had an older sister, Kiba, who is 15. Nathan and Gioli, who were both under 10 years old. If I'm saying these names wrong, again, I am so sorry. <laughs> I mean, even just the way you did, I was I'm like, trying. Nathan? You're like, Nathan? It's beautiful. <laughs> Nathan. <laughs> the police also wiretapped literally so many phones. Oh, okay. They traced 15,000 phones that went through Mapello on the day of Yara's disappearance. And you bet your <laughs> they were combing through conversations. On their throats, the police I am were. You, what in the world are we not doing in Italy? <laughs> I mean, I have come such on. respect for this um, investigation so far. I mean, it's just like you said, refreshing to see that everyone is doing their job, right? And you know who is at the little oh, top stop. doing her most? <laughs> I love her. <laughs> anyway. One wiretapped conversation was of a Moroccan man named Mohammed Fikri. Um, he was heard saying, forgive me, God, I didn't kill her. So let's unpack Wait, that. like just heard someone say that randomly? That was like one of the conversations he had. I, you know, I actually don't know because I don't okay. know if they wiretapped his phone in the sense that like they were listening while he was like working doing about his stuff and he was talking to himself or i don't know if it was a conversation on the phone i don't really know how italy's laws work in the sense of like privacy and stuff like that i don't know if they would be allowed to tap the phone i don't even know if in 2010 they had that technology but he is reported he was overheard by the police saying forgive me god i didn't kill her which to me is suspicious. Oh, very suspicious. I mean, I can't even picture, like, someone saying that. If he that didn't kill her, then person. why does he need to be forgiven? Right. And I'll tell you another thing. Well, I won't. Oh. I will tell you later. <laughs> I don't want to spoil okay. anything. So, he was working in a builder's yard in Mapello, but by the time investigators got on to him, he was in the wind on a boat bound for Tangier's. Um, but on December 4th, Italian investigators, who were doing their job, intercepted the vessel and arrested Fikri. Uh, mm. They were like, mm stop that ship. God! <laughs> I know. It's really good to this hear. Makes me it's up. really good to hear all of these things, like, go well. They searched Fikri's van, and they found blood. But, hate to cut this story short, the blood ended up being unrelated 
And Ruggieri said that everyone wanted it to be him because he was foreign. Okay. So, yes, in a lot of the news articles, he seems very sus, but I think a lot of that is also them building it and building it up because of the fact that he's foreign. So it's difficult to say what is unbiased. But that, the words he said, forgive me God, I didn't kill her, those are quotes. Moving on, though, because he is no longer really in the police's viewpoint. Italian TV at this point was consumed with the news and time is starting to pass. Like, it's now winter. It's, you know, the family is beside themselves and they actually, like, kind of lock themselves away. Like, they lower their shutters and they even turn down the idea of this, like, torchlight procession to raise awareness which a lot of people deem weird, um, but they yeah. did have instead the nuns from the Ursuline Order who they, like, taught at Yara's school. They did go and pray with Mara, who is Yara's mother. So, and a mass was held instead of the procession, and the rare statements from the parents, like, people didn't like them because they were saying, like, we want privacy and patience from everybody, but, like, listen... Well, like we always say, you cannot judge somebody by how they're grieving. But on top of this, the family being reserved isn't really that alarming because it's sort of the culture of their region. I was just going to say, like, them being religious and, like, yes. having this and, sort of relaxation, that listen, seems normal. So the province of Bergamo is much closer to Switzerland than Naples, and the Bergamashi are generally more reserved than, like, the people who are more Southern. Yeah. So, it's kind of like how they always say, like, Italians are warm. Like, people Mm -hmm. from Switzerland are not as well-known for being, like, super warm. And so they have more of, like, that type of culture. Quote, It's in the spirit of mountain people to disdain gossip and not to repeat nonsense, says Piero Bonicelli, the editor of Araberara, a colorful local newspaper. He told that to The Guardian. So I think that kind of sums up why the family is not necessarily... Um, grasping at every opportunity to speak in the press. Yeah, and I mean, thank God that they're getting all this attention that they honestly don't even really need to be exactly. out there. The thing is, they know that the police are doing their job. They know, they like, you know, they, they have faith in the fact that they will get their daughter's answer soon. If not, they at least want privacy yeah. because they deserve that. So I mean, that's all, that's what they can protect, you know, it's what they have control over. Exactly. But, you know, they are obviously desperate to find their daughter still. And so they do end up sharing some photographs of Yara with the press in the days after her disappearance. So that's what everybody kind of has to go on. Okay. They're very cute pictures, like one of her taking communion, one of her, like, doing splits in the gym, a studio photo of her in a yellow top, and an Italy football shirt, which, soccer, (laughs) on the beach but no one came forward with like any useful information at all eventually her parents do make a televised appeal just a few days after christmas um and the guardian article says they looked awkward which i'm like okay what Uh, in the because honestly they how dare anybody say how I would look if I was if like my are you saying they should be missing. at peace with this like they should look cozy like their feet should be yeah. kicked up on the 
feel like sorry that mantle. they've never been on TV before except for when their daughter's missing. How do you think they're going to look? It's not an audition. I don't... Ooh, it just made me really mad when I read that. Mara was obviously uncomfortable because her daughter is missing. And they, like, make a point to say that she was unintentionally rolling her eyes. And I'm just like, can we just drop it? I hate it when people really, really, really look into how a mother is grieving. Because she's grieving. And even if, like, God forbid the mother is the one that did it. I don't think our answers lie in how she's behaving. I think they lie in facts and evidence, and I just don't ever like it when people are like, well, she did it because she was uncomfortable in that press conference talking about her dead daughter. I, like, what I really world? don't think that two-second eye roll is a full-fledged confession <laughs> by exactly. any means. And I also don't think it'll hold up in like, a court of law. what is this, Reddit? I yeah. thought it was on the Guardian's <laughs> website, not Reddit. Oh, my God. Anyway, so I just wanted to point that out. Equally as mad. But let the record show. By February 26, 2011, exactly three months after Yara disappeared, a middle-aged man uh, named Scotty with a drone in the scrubland in a small town 10 kilometers south of Brembati di Sopra spotted some rags on the ground with his drone. And then, shoes. Okay, so do they have, like, any leads at this point? Well, I mean, like like I said, they tapped 15,000 phones, so ultimately they maybe have 15,000 leads. <laughs> okay. Not really a lot. I mean, a lot to go off yeah, of. Yeah. But, but that means it's a lot to come through, and they don't even know if they are leads. So at this point, no, they don't have any real, like... Concrete leads. Yeah, or nothing super obtainable at this moment. So, you know, there's rags on the ground and shoes... So Scotty calls the police immediately, and they get Ruggeri on the scene, stat, <laughs> immediately. Um, it does end up being a body. Okay. The body was in an advanced state of decomposition, but Ruggeri could see the black bomber jacket with its, like, elastic waist, which Yara had been wearing when she left home in November. She also had a Hello Kitty sweatshirt on her. So, like, if that doesn't just say innocence and youth, like, when I read that, I teared up because I loved Hello Kitty when I was 13. (laughs) And, like, it's just heartbreaking to me, you know what I mean? And, oh, it just breaks my heart. She also had her iPod, house keys, and her SIM card and battery for her cell phone. But the phone itself was missing. Sus! 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 So, like, clearly, you know, that's not, she didn't just, just take this out Um, at 13 and be like, I need this battery. I need the SIM card. Like, right. Uh, Somebody left those there. And for what? So the autopsy was conducted by Italy's most famous forensic pathologist, Professor Cristina Cadenio. Um, She discovered traces of lime in Yaro's respiratory passages and the present, uh, presence of jute, which is a vegetable fiber used to make rope on her clothing. Yara hadn't been raped, thank God, although her purple bra was unhooked. She had suffered multiple injuries from a sharp weapon which had pierced through her clothing at various points. It seemed like she had just been attacked and abandoned, because according to the autopsy, she died of exposure. 
to the elements. Yeah, you know? yeah, but like <laughs> oh, the, the wounds did it like do anything? Like it was just like her well, being out there, like I she was guess... left there alive. I... Not that you're an, not that you're like an <laughs> expert. I'm sorry to attack you. I'm like okay, according to my forensic knowledge. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess the wounds were not what was fatal. And that she just no, wasn't treated. Which this oh is why I was, like, going to say something before when the guy said, forgive me, God, I didn't kill her. Ooh. Because he wounded her. But she wasn't dead. But, again, he was cleared. and But I just thought, whoa, that might be why people are grasping mm-hmm. onto it. You know? Also, you said her body was covered with rags, right? I, I don't do know necessarily just... if it were rags or if his drone just spotted her clothes and he thought it was rags. It doesn't okay. specify whether they were rags, and it doesn't say that there were rags around her. So I feel like it might just be her clothing and he thought it was rags. Or honestly, it could be a translation thing. True. Very yeah. true. Okay. Now, I do want to note, because the autopsy did find presence of lime and jute, in her system and on her clothing, um, they thought that that suggested that the killer might be in, like, the building trade mm-hmm. because of, you know, those are things that someone who works in the building trade would have yeah. on their body. The forensics team actually retrieved two DNA samples, one from Yara's phone battery and the other from two fingers of her black gloves. But neither matched any samples that the authorities already had on record. Two months later in April, the commander of the Scientific Investigations Department in Parma phoned Ruggeri. He was like, I got good news. This murder has a signature. They found male DNA on the underwear of the deceased. It was likely that the murderer had himself been wounded in the struggle um, because his DNA was left on her knickers. Okay. Ruggeri and her team named the murder suspect Ignoto 1, which translates to unknown one. Okay. I do want to say, like, if his DNA was on her gloves, she was probably fighting hard. Yeah. And I'm almost wondering if he had intent, like, this... Obviously, it's devastating to think about, but I'm almost wondering if he had intended to rape her because his DNA was on her underwear, but she maybe fought so hard that he, like, gave up, and that's why he didn't kill her fully. He maybe just ran away from her in the middle of it. Yeah. Wait, that is so... Possibly, and... I like I, I don't have anything else to add, but that's so good. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I've been thinking about this for a long time. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> so the police were responsible for taking DNA samples from obviously her family members, from friends from school, and people at her gym, and just kind of everybody um, around. Okay. Now the Carabinieri, which Whoa. is like the military police, okay. they concentrated on the phone records cross-referencing all of the mobile phones that had moved from Brambati di Sopra to Cignolo di Isola, which that is, like, where her body was found. They checked every single phone record from, from November 26, 2010. Each phone user whose number appeared in both cells was literally tracked down personally and asked for a DNA sample. I'm telling you, they did their most. Okay, 
Do you ever, like, this is, this is why I, this case is, like, so crazy to me, because I'm, like, everything was done perfectly, it seems like. I mean, from where I'm standing, you know? I know, I'm, like, to track down every phone record that day that had that exact movement. I mean, I've never... And the thing is, I don't know for sure, but I think our Fourth Amendment kind of bars a lot of the searches that maybe the Italian laws don't Don't have, which I can see that happening a lot because we do have a lot stricter laws when it comes to... exactly. Like, the government kind of calls the shots in Italy, (laughs) more so than here where, you know, citizens have... More rights to their technology and Right, exactly. It took geneticists in Parma, Pavia, and Rome a minimum of six hours, minimum, to transform just a few samples of DNA into something which could be read and compared on a computer screen. The cost in machinery and manpower was gigantic, and the investigation would go on to become one of the most expensive manhunts in Italian history. Yara's funeral took place in May 2011 at her gym where she was last seen alive. Close to the scrubland, where Yara's body had been found was this nightclub called Sabi Mobili. Mm, did they have cameras? Did they have cameras? Sherry, I just want to say this nightclub translates to quicksand. <laughs> Ooh. I know. It's I funny, like, but then eerie. Yeah. <laughs> the because that's a child's worst the nightmare. Fuck? Quicksand? Quicksand? Anyway. So. Ruggeri knew that murderers tend to dump bodies in areas where they're most familiar. You murder someone, you're not like, I'm going to dump them seven miles that way where I've never been. Because you don't know if someone's going to go looking there the exact next minute. You're going to do it somewhere where you think you know it really well and no one's going to look. Exactly. My girl Ruggeri knew that. (laughs) So, it seemed like a long shot, but in spring of 2011, investigators started taking DNA samples outside the club. Literally, they were outside the club. Shut up. No, they were not outside the club. Like, hey, they were like, you want to go in and lick this? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, really, they were doing the most. So, on Fridays and Saturdays, when the club was at its height of busyness, they were like, mm-hmm, I'm going to post up right here taking DNA samples. And I mean, by that point, you can imagine everyone's heard about it. So, they're like, um, um, yeah. They're like, I- uh, Yeah, I, so, really, it's it's getting crazy. Jeez. So, Sabi Mobili had a reputation for violence. Um, a young man from the Dominican Republic had actually been murdered outside its doors on January 16th, 2011. But the club actually had very helpful records. Anyone who went to the club required a membership card to get in. The Costco of Italy. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> the club Costco. <laughs> and so authorities were like, okay, just give us all of the members that went to this club. And they were able to track down anyone who went there regularly. Oh, I'm... Share, girl, it only I'm goes so up from here. So Let's keep going. I am so... In one of the samples ended up being really similar to Ignoto One. Okay. When I say really similar, it's not the same sample. It's not the DNA of Ignoto One. But it is so similar that they know it must be a family member. 
The man who gave the sample was Damiano Gerinoni. Gerinoni. I don't... You know what? He's a suspect. We don't... No, he's not. Oh. Uh, he's a family member of a suspect. Are you listening? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Damiano, if you're out there, we give <laughs> Sherry misspoke. <laughs> Let the record show Sherry misspoke. Keep going. Okay. So the man who gave the sample was Damiano Garinoni. He had been in South America on the day of Yara's disappearance. Do you feel like a Oh, well, you didn't say all that, did you, when I was speaking? Well, I did you? say he was just a family member, okay? Well, I get it. You want to like find the, the murderer. I, I do more than anyone else. But, you know, like I said, they were convinced he was a close relative of the murderer. Now, after looking through the family lineage, they found Aurora Zani, his mother. She had gone to Yara's home twice a week throughout her childhood. Yara's childhood. She recalled how Yara would always ask her to watch her latest gymnastics moves, and Zani would tell her to be careful not to hurt herself. In 2011, she was no longer working for the family, but she said her relationship with Yara's parents was excellent. But my girl Rogeri knows better. She followed them. Good. She harassed them. Good. She tracked their calls. As she she grilled them. <clears throat> Fried them. Fried. Fried them. But they ended up being taken out of the equation. Oh my god. I can't deal with this emotional up and down. I'm really gonna need to take a pause. I'm, like, I'm sweating. I'm so, so sorry. Hard. I'm making you sweat. I, I'm so easily excitable. I love that about you. It's one of your best qualities. You make me feel so much funnier. Really? I bet people listen and they're like, Helen didn't even say anything funny, but Sherry is losing it. <laughs> and I like that about you. So, a lot of people were mad at Rogeri for eventually ruling these people out. And people were mad at her for not just that, but also for ruling out that Moroccan man from before. There were a lot of sexist comments, which we are not here for. And one even lawsuit for her, quote, incompetence. But this did not stop my girl. And she did not stop running and grilling people and looking for answers. I love her. She was fighting tooth and nail. She said she didn't take a vacation for four years because of this. So, I'm sorry, but back oh off, take, right? Oh, take the comments and sh- She then them. ended up suing that guy who called her incompetent for libel. And guess who won? She won. Guess she won. who always wins at the end she, of the day? She won. My girl. Everyone else loses. That's true. Go home. <laughs> the team analyzed everyone and recreated that family tree for months i'm not kidding they ancestry.com has nothing nothing on the italian task force i'm not like put them out of business for a whole four years and like oh my god like the golden state killer case like oh it doesn't even compare to how hard the italians worked for this I'm just, I'm so grateful for the Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We caught no. the Golden State Killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you get it. Yeah, we get it. I'm just trying to make yeah, it. Yeah, that's okay. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, what was I saying? Totally forgot. Um, uh, they okay. the family tree for months. Right, right, right. So, they looked at dates of birth, places of birth, relationships within the family. The investigators had worked out a complete geno- genealogical, that is not yeah. an easy word to say genealogical tree as far back as 1815 with other branches of the family going back as far as 1716 which italy is like mm-hmm. 
been a lot longer around. Uh, they, <laughs> <laughs> I am so bad at speaking today. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Everyone's. You know what I said to someone at work? (laughs) Okay, so the FedEx guy came to pick up if anybody had any packages, and I was in the lobby at the time, so he was like, is this good to go? And I was like, yes, it's good to go. And he was like, can I get your name? And I go, (laughs) Heckron. And we both just stood there, and I was like, it's Helen. (laughs) So anyway, they traced back as far as 1716. Damiano Gerononi's father had a brother, Giuseppe, who had died in 1999. Investigators visited Giuseppe's widow in September 2011 and found two stamps that he had licked, and they were like, yep, those are going to be ours. Uh One in order to validate his driver's license and another on a postcard he had sent to his family. So investigators scooped that up, and when the DNA results came back, they had another breakthrough. Geneticists were convinced that Giuseppe Gerononi was the father of Ignoto One, the suspected murderer. Shut, shut the front door. Here we go. Don't tell me it was ruled out. I swear. Uh-uh, keep going. Okay. Keep listening. <laughs> oh, so he had two sons and a daughter. Now, since Ignoto One was a male, investigators concentrated on the sons, Pier Paolo and Diego. I love the name Pier Paolo, by the way. The drama like, of I, Pier, Pier Paolo. Paolo. No Paolo oh, from Lizzie McGuire. This is. <laughs> gonna shatter the mic i was that's the only thing i could think about paolo from lizzie mcguire don't get it twisted this is pierre paolo um so yeah and pierre paolo like his mother was a jehovah's witness diego had unfortunately a drug problem i see i see ifs ifs ands and like so many suspicious stuff about both of those yeah and it's so however funny. neither of them provided a perfect match with ignoto one now they're like okay if ignoto one really was the son of the late giuseppe Gerononi, the only explanation was that somewhere out there giuseppe has an illegitimate child <laughs> Is this not so nail-biting, exhilarating? I, I, People are like, guys, just get on with the story. Stop talking about how much you like it. No, but I, you need to go on this journey with me. You guys are here with me, and we're, we're together. So, Here we job. go. Yeah. So, investigators knew that from the early 1960s onwards, for two weeks every May, Giuseppe Gerononi used to go to a spa resort called Salis Terme, South of Milan, without his wife. All right, an affair. Who was it? Now, divorce wasn't a thing back then. So they thought they must be looking for a woman who was just unfaithful to her husband. Okay. Gerononi also was a bus driver, so they interviewed many of his colleagues, and they found this mysterious woman, Esther Arzufi. Okay. Now, Esther Arzufi had been a neighbor of Gerononi's in Ponte Selva in the late 1960s. In 1966, when she was 19, she had married Gianni Bossetti from Par, a nearby village. Bossetti was a man whose tough life had kind of turned him that way. He had been orphaned young and suffered from psoriasis, arthrosis, and depression. When Matt listens to this, he's going to be like, I have psoriasis. (laughs) (laughs) Not me, Matt. Outing Matt's medical history. (laughs) Also, Matt listens to this. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So... 
Arzufi seemed very different. She was like an outgoing, good-looking woman. She wore short skirts, says the Guardian, but like, okay. Okay, leave her alone. She's a woman. But you know, back then it was frowned upon. And she dyed her hair, which was also like, okay, for you what, the law. I know. I, I, like, what is that? I don't, who cares if she dyed her hair? Guess what? I should start, because I have, like, five gray hairs. No. No, I actually do. Look. Five? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's true. Um, okay. So, she got a job at this textile factory a few miles away in Villa Diogna, and she took the bus every day. Yes. She was the mother of Ignoto I. So Arzufi had left Point Selva, Point Selva, in 1970, but she had continued her affair with Gerononi into the autumn of 1970, and she gave birth to two twins, a boy and a girl. The boy was called Massimo Bossetti. His middle name was Giuseppe, like his biological father. Now, he was a slim boy who, quote, loved to party, and he was nicknamed the animal by his friends. He is now 42 at the time, and he's a builder. He's married with three children and living in Mapello, the hamlet near Yara's hometown, where the last signal of Yara's cell phone had been recorded on November 26, 2010. Okay, so he's a party animal, he's a builder, and he lives near her home. Yes, essentially. Got it. Okay. Ruggieri's like, okay, we gotta move fast. <laughs> she has not wasted one breath no. during this She's like, I need a vacation. It's been four years. Let's go. Let's right. wrangle him up. But also could easily go for another four. No, she's an, she's the animal, animal okay? She right. is. <clears throat> Suck it. She is. She's doing her job. Okay. June 15th, 2014, she set up this fake roadblock, breathalyzing drivers. But you bet it was just because she wanted his DNA. Mm -hmm. I love her. I love her. I. (laughs) When police officers stopped Massimo Bossetti, they pretended the machine hadn't worked the first time so they could get two good samples. If, if I, I ever go, you, you you can hit her up on speed dial. I will. I will call her personally and be like, Rigari, I need you on this case. Please. His DNA was immediately sent for overnight tests, and the results showed it was an exact match with Ignoto 1. I mean, this is Now, just... they watched Bassetti before arresting him to study his movements and behavior and everything from a distance because they were like, we're going to nail this to the ground. I mean, I can imagine they're like, we want anything like further, like incriminating if he has right. anything from and it. And like- they find. Well, first of all, on June 16th, Bassetti was arrested and charged with the murder of Yara Gambirasio. And th- here's what they know Bassetti had frequently hung out at Yara around Yara's house. He parked his car in Via Donsala, which is behind the gym and ate at the Tuscanazia Pizzeria at the end of her road. He had gone for regular UV showers at the tanning shop nearby. His internet searches were troubling, to say the least. He would, like, search with words that implied a compulsion for pubescent young girls. And more importantly, records suggested that his phone had been present in Brambati di Sopra on the evening of Yara's disappearance, but had been switched off from 5.45 p.m. until the following morning. 
In 2016, Bassetti was sentenced to life imprisonment. Now, Yara is buried between her two grandparents in a cemetery just across the road from her gym. There's no date on her tombstone, only a signature next to a photograph of her wearing a white Alice band. All around the grave are mementos left by her friends, gym shoes, a metal tulip, rag dolls, plastic angels, and little bracelets. Often, in the early evening, you can see Yara's father, Fulvio, standing there, gazing at the resting place of his parents and his daughter. Thanks for listening. You can catch us on Instagram at the Chalkline Pod, Twitter at the Chalkline Pod, and follow along with our YouTube channel. The link is in our Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story.